Ben, Ben, I gotta hand it to you, pal. <laughs> you got the whole network here in an uproar. Why, they're shipping bicarb to the Justice Department in crates. So that's why this little call is just between you and I. It's not going on on the air. Listen very carefully, Ben. How would you like a three-year contract guaranteed, a cadre credit line, and a beachfront condo? Sound impossible? Ben is a standard deal for a network stalker. And I know real talent when I see it, Ben. And I just hate to see you get canceled tonight when you could go the distance. Say the word, Ben. You can be the one doing the stalking. What do you think? You cold bladders. I'll tell you what I think of it. I live to see you eat that contract. But I hope you leave enough room for my fist because I'm going to ram it into your stomach and break your damn spine! Ah! scares us and what saves us. This is the fear of God. I told you, I told you all that I'd be back. I said it in every single movie for like five or ten years. I said, I'll be back. You never believe me. You never believe me, but here I am. I was here before, and now I'm here. I'm back. I told you I'd be back, and now I'm back. I'm here on the Fear of God podcast. Reed is not here. Nathan is not here. I am here. <laughs> and what I want you to do, listen very closely, is I want you to go to iTunes. I want you to write a rating, write a review, but most importantly, I want you to subscribe. You've got to subscribe to the podcast. That is how the true measurement works. You're only a half fan if you've reviewed, if you've rated it. You're only like a quarter fan if you haven't done that. I know you're there. I know some of you have not even done that. So I want you to go. I want you to rate it. Five stars if you please. Please. And I want you to write a review. And I want you to hit that little subscribe button. So anything, anytime that they put something into your feed, it will be there. It will just automatically be there. Because there's some great things coming up. And speaking of great things, if you have not visited the T Public slash the Fear of God podcast site recently, you should go there because there are some very exciting things. You can get all kinds of things. I've already ordered my pillow. I've already ordered my t-shirts. I've ordered my magnets. I've ordered all of those things. Do it. Do it now. Why are you still here? Oh, that's right. Because we have a show to do. So I want to welcome in the regular co-host, Mr. Nathan Rouse. Mr. Nathan, how are you? I'm doing all right, Arnold. Welcome back, friend. I told you. You did. You did. You 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 have repeatedly told us that you will be back and I'm I'm just appreciative that you're a man of your word. I yes. 
Now, I have no, Arnold, much more to say to that. Do our yes. do our shirts fit you? Have you have you found that they are comfortable? They they you? fit me until I bend over to tie my shoe, and then they rip because of my bulging biceps and my back muscles. They just tear right through it. Uh, so I had to I had to actually order uh, like three different shirts, and I had the same thing happen every single time. So then I had to put on the hoodie, and the hoodie works. <laughs> the the hoodie is fine. The hoodie is great. I recommend Did- the hoodie. Did the pillow work okay for you? The pillow is so comfortable. It's so great. It's it's one. It's my favorite pillow now. But I had to order like four because I sleep on one and then I cuddle with one, and then the rest of them just sort of surround my bed when I'm when I'm at. Idiot. So that's that's what I do with the pillows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was... I I oh, heard yeah. in another in another movie that I wasn't in. Somebody said those aren't pillows. But these are these are actually pillows. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. I ordered. Um, Arnold, can you can you do you know? Are you? It's possible you're a large fellow, and co-host Reed Lackey is careful. Not. Is careful. it possible that you're like sitting on him or something? Is he near you? Like I don't. I might be sitting on him. Let okay. me wait a minute. Let me see. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, uh I'll be right back. I I, I always <laughs> say this, but I'll I'll, I'll be back. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that, ladies and gentlemen, was the governor. You know, Reed. Oh. We we love Reed loves to talk about the people he's met and the celebrities <laughs> he's gotten to know. And turns out Arnold is one of them. And you know, we were able to pull some strings. Oh. Uh, yeah, he, you know, he was able to just do a little cameo there. Um, that's, yeah. that's right. That's so right. welcome, welcome back, Reed. Yeah. Oh, thank you, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, so. Uh, you know what's uh, really great? What's really great about that is the longer you go, the more hints of other dialects creep in. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like you you flirted with a little Scottish here and there. You know, <laughs> um, Scottish. You know, it's yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's but <laughs> it's, but but I'm impressed. I'm impressed with the commitment. You know. Well, thank you, thank you. I was gonna say, like, my the the stupidity factor is through the roof, but you got to give points for the commitment. Like, boy, <laughs> does not care at all if it's landing. Just gonna go for it. Gonna go for it until. Uh, well, that's until comedy. Complete... That's yeah. comedy. Right? <laughs> oh, hey, buddy, how you doing? Hey, I am all right. You know, all right. Been, been running. I'm a running man. Oh, you've been running. Oh, I understand. Uh, yeah, actually, I'm not really doing much of anything lately it's not good <laughs> i need to be a running man i'm not i'm active i'm actively inactive right now. i'm more of a I'm more of a sitting man yeah and, more uh, of a, but sedentary man just doesn't have the same like <laughs> get up and go to it you know <laughs> no not at all by definition like, right right exactly yeah, it's, it's intentionally not the the thing that you're trying to achieve yeah i i get it i understand um mm. Yeah. So, but the, but I mean, the more important question is, what you watching, Ronald? What's reading? Wow. What? What? <laughs> what are you listening? What are you listening to? <laughs> Tell me. Oh my god. Tell me. Oh, there's a bit of a Gru in there. <laughs> yes, he's, that is he's true. very he's very present. It's Gru is here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm so dumb. I'm so dumb, it's okay, y'all. I'm sorry. Dude, Thanks for loving me, y'all. You know, <laughs> if if you can't be dumb here, that's true. That's true. And you I can mean, be dumb here. I mean, 
last five, the last five minutes are testimony to that. <laughs> the last three um, years are testimony of that. This is true. Are you are you doing a watcher? Are you you got some watches for me? No, 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 no. You're, no, it's this is all you. I don't, I don't, I don't have it. I have, I have. Liter- I've been so busy with just everything. So I got, I got nothing. I do, I do understand the busy. Yeah. Um, I got nothing. But so okay. Well, I'll I'll touch on this real quick, and then we'll move on to. Uh, more kingly things. <laughs> um, so you had mentioned to me off pod about the possibility of having gotten into some watchmen. Did you end up being able to do that or not? So I was unfortunately unable to do that. There was a like a free preview weekend that HBO uh, had, and I had every good intention of diving in during those like four days. But mm-hmm. uh, the the Thanksgiving holiday uh, and all of the festivities happy, happy, they're in. Happy post-Thanksgiving. Yeah, happy post-Thanksgiving to you too, uh, which were very fun and delightful. Lots of good time with family and, and lots of good like downtime, but there was a lot of time spent, and this, you know, I, I don't say this as a detriment. It just kept me from watching Watchmen. Um, spent a lot of time like playing games with my son and, and hanging out with family and stuff like that. And so it just never, never got the chance to do the deep dive I wanted to. Sure. Well, the only reason I asked specifically is I was going to reference it, but I just know to not spoil. Um, yeah. So uh, I, I referenced the show, generally speaking, a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, you and I are great devotees of Mr. Damon Lindelof. And mm-hmm. um, when the time comes eventually that you are able to dive into Watchmen, I think you will be richly rewarded. Mm-hmm. Um Specifically, I'm going to pair it real quickly with a podcast and we're going to move on. But so in a certain measure, this Wetcha is repeat, but still bears mentioning and recommending. Um, So episode six of Watchmen, the title of which I cannot recall, um, is told entirely in flashback, uh, which I suppose is a mild spoiler. And, you know, I, I referenced when I first brought up the TV show, a neutrality on the original work. And, and that mm. would, that would even still persist. The opening scene of the season of the series and season draws a very distinct picture of what the show is about, which is unabashedly race in America in a way that mm. you're kind of like, not, you know, if you're, if you're coming to it as a fan of the series or whatever, maybe, new information you know what i mean it's like oh uh, yeah, didn't, didn't yeah. know that what that's what this was be about and so uh that's pretty impressive and dude i'm telling you so i'm going to partner this episode six with a podcast of chris hayes show that i reference a good bit uh the with pod why is this happening he's been doing some live shows and recently did one with two guests in chicago one named ibram kendi who wrote the book anti-racist and one other one um and then that i, I don't have in front of me but uh and then also also features Nicole Hannah-Jones, who is a journalist who um, also does the voiceover, I suppose you could say hosts the podcast 1619, which I've started but haven't gotten too deep into. So anyway, I watched, I'm watched. i watching Watchmen, and then in the same couple of days after watching Watchmen episode six, I listened to this podcast episode. And it was kind of like one did in fictional narrative form what the other did in historical reality form. Ah, okay. And dude, I can't articulate like Watchmen episode six. I watched and it kind of rattled me like actively 
rattled mm. my sort of spirit for probably 36 hours um, okay. because of just how one purely on a technical level, it's a masterpiece. It will be considered as like definitely of this year, best episodes of TV and even elevate beyond that. Wow. It's, it's, it is amazing. It is amazing. Like watching it 30 minutes into it. You're it, it's one of those experiences that you seem to have with routine, but I don't where you're watching it and the further it goes, the more you're looking around, like, am I the only one seeing this? This is incredible. Oh, oh, um, yeah, just, yeah. just the technical aspects of it. So there's that, but the actual story aspects of it too are radically amazing, tragic, wrenching uh, from a racial standpoint. Mm. So I had that. And then driving around, uh, listening to the, the podcast episode I'm referencing and if I'm sounding like a little fumbly, it's because I can't, it's hard for me to know I'm more of a feelings based type of person. So sometimes it's hard to like, how do I wrap all this up? So these two elements together, I was driving around. I'm telling you this kind of more as my friend than as my podcast co-host, because we haven't chatted much lately, but like Reed, I had this profound, um, it, it was, it wasn't out of body in this real weird, you know, frou-frou kind of way, but mm hearing ruminating on this episode of TV, which is amazing and powerful and wrenching and challenging. And then listening yeah. to these people who are historians, journalists, African-Americans discuss the, the journey of African-Americans in this country. The only way I know how to articulate it is that I had this deep and acute and profound sense of shame and, mm, okay. and, and kind of like, Grief is the wrong word. And I don't even mean shame in a like, I'm so wretched. That wasn't it. It was more like a, this is going to get real super deep quick, but like okay. in the way that God gifts us sometimes these momentary glimpses into the, the macro of our lived human experience. Like mm. I had this, I had this great moment just driving around, listening to these people talk, ruminating on what I've been watching of like, Lord, help us. What mm. have we done? And and it needs to be named and we need to bear the weight of it. It, it was just really yeah, wild. Yeah. It was really wild. Um, I don't, I, I honestly can't recall that having occurred before. I was going to say that doesn't happen to me often, but it was, it was acute. It was profound. It was deep. It was powerful. And yeah. Mm. So, so on the one hand, I'm just recounting this sort of personal story of these two things colliding. Uh, on the other sure. hand, I'm also saying, you know, one, sure. Watch Watchmen. It's, it's amazing. But also, you know, this podcast is really powerful. So yeah, that, that is, <laughs> mm. <laughs> that is that's what I've been watching brother and, lis <laughs> and, and, li and listening to. Um, sure. Sure. I'm actually, but, I'm, I'm really, so I have nothing to say because I haven't, I haven't heard that yeah, podcast. Yeah, or yeah. I haven't, I haven't seen that show yet, but I am excited to, because you are not alone in your overwhelming affection for Watchmen, I have managed to avoid, other than the uh, fact that it tackles race, I have managed to avoid all spoilers, so far, all spoilers for specific beats of the story, yeah. um, including like character inclusions and everything. Sure. I've, been able to, I've been able to avoid everything thus far. So I'm hoping to keep it that way and hoping that you know, maybe once the entire series or season has, has aired, uh, maybe just pay for a month of HBO to just be able to hammer it all out or something, yeah, you know, um, you should. Uh, yeah. So I'm planning to, to do that. Uh, but I'm very excited to be able to, 
to finally dive into that because a lot of people are talking about it. And that's that's exciting. I'm glad to see that um, that those kind that kind of recognition because, like you mentioned, we we love Lindelof and most most if not all of his work, and so um, it's good to see him back at the forefront of cultural conversation. There are. I know you're a person who wouldn't do this anyway, but at this point in the series of which seven of nine have aired, um, there are definitive narrative things you don't want to know yet kind of thing. Uh, but, gotcha. but honestly, the, even those though, you know, ultimately are fun in universe narrative turns, but the biggest sort of quote unquote spoiler would simply be the tone and theme, you know? Yeah. And so that, and that's, Again, established within thirty seconds of the opening of the first episode, so it, you know that—that's—that's that's what I keep coming back to it for. The other kind of comic booky sort of Watchmen esque aspects to it are fun um, and 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 interesting and cool, but the kind of thematic power is, is what keeps pulling me back in. Um, gotcha. Uh, but yeah, that's been another installment of What Watching. What Watching. What are you reading? What are you listening to? Yeah. Hey, buddy. All right. Hey, man. Um, so so I'm pull, very... us, pull us out of this deep well. Let's go. Let's go somewhere real <laughs> yes. shallow. A little, a little, uh, pull us back up into the. Uh, uh, let's run. Let's run like the running man. Sure. To, towards yeah. the shore. Um, okay. So we are in the throes of uh, a unique season for us. Um, a series of episodes uh, around the holidays. We usually try to do something. The last few years we've done something sort of holiday-themed, holiday-horror-themed. And so uh, this year, because this was the year of King, Stephen King material, hashtag 19, um, we brought in uh, a concept he made with an early novella collection of his called Different Seasons. We're doing hashtag Different Seasons, tagging in on some non-horror Stephen King material. Um, And uh, with each installment last week we did um, a conversation about stand by me which was based on his novella of the body um, this week we are going to be tackling uh, what was originally a singularly released novel and later collected in a in a group of novels uh, called the running man and we'll get into those details later because we are also tagging in on some shorter works along the way and I wanted to tag in specifically, again, uh, non-horror shorter works. Um, and so I wanted to look at this story from Night Shift called The Last Rung on the Ladder. Now, you had never read... Have you have you read the Night Shift collection at all? Or, like, have you encountered pieces from it before um, that you're aware of? You know, if I've encountered pieces from it, I'm not aware of it. I did... At this point, I'm versed enough in the catalog of King that I know the title and knew it was a short story collection, but I've not read any of it. I did want to, before we dive, before we climb up the ladder here, um, uh, read, (laughs) Read. Mm, 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 mm -hmm. you know, I want to tell you, I want to encourage listeners. Like if, if you're ever talking to someone about the fear of God and you're trying to articulate just what, what it is, stand by me might be the new go to, (laughs) uh, for, you know, even though it's not horror themed, the King connection is there though. Uh, (laughs) Re-listening to that this week, I was struck by how serious it is in one block of 30 minutes and then how utterly 
asinine it gets by the end of it. I'm just like, this is why I do this. This is why I'm principally, oh. this is why we do this thing is because, you know, we span, we span the whole spectrum, brother. And it I'm is. It's true. Happy it's to true. be a part of it. <laughs> Likewise, my friend. Yeah, I would wholeheartedly recommend if you have not listened to the Stand By Me episode, uh, go back and check that out. We also uh, discussed in brief um, uh, Stephen King's uh, essay called Guns, uh, and and you're right. It's like the conversation was very um, sincere and, and kind of heavy around that, and then the Stand By Me conversation sort of pivots back and forth between some just uh, <laughs> just inane frivolity and uh, and some uh, you know what I consider to be some relatively thought provoking observations. And yes, it's it's a great episode. We're really proud of it. So go check that out. So, um, I, but uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, just literally like maybe a minute and a half about like Night Shift as a collection. Sure. Um, because Night Shift was his first collection of short stories. Stephen King had, had launched his writing career by selling different short stories. Uh, a lot of them were, uh, a lot of the ones collected in Night Shift were sold to the magazine Cavalier. Um, he had sold some to like Cosmo and um, and even a couple to Penthouse and, you know, some of the more adult-themed uh, magazines. But Night Shift collects a lot of them, and Night Shift has had a lot of adaptations. So there's a lot of stories in there that have been adapted to material, either in short form or long form. It contains the original story for Graveyard, Graveyard Shift, which was a film, The Mangler, which was a film, Sometimes They Come Back. Uh, it contains the original story for The Lawnmower Man, and though that was adapted into a film, it is really not the same story at all. Um, it, it contains the original Children of the Corn. Um, and then there are several other, again, smaller works. It contains uh, the story Trucks that Stephen King later directed himself as Maximum Overdrive. So um, there's a lot of like... That's, uh, a, sort of... that's, a, that's a much more uh, energetic title than... <laughs> Trucks. <laughs> tr- trucks is so. You know, it's like, oh, hey, hey, guys, I got this short story. You know, I want to submit it to all the all the lad mags or whatever. It's, well, what's it called? It's, uh, you know, it's like trucks. You know, dudes like trucks. You, you know, it's you like, well, okay, well, trucks. What is it about? <laughs> R- really? <laughs> <laughs> okay. What do you what do you what do you want me to call it? Like, like supreme hyperspace or something? Like, no, whoa, no, no, not whoa. not supreme hyperspace. Trucks. Right? Something. Something. It's gotta like be trucks. That. Like, how, how Steve, put- Steve, that's not going to sell. That's not going to sell. <laughs> like, you can't just make a movie and throw the word trucks on it and expect people to come. Yeah. Like, well, okay. Well- Pixar proved us wrong with cars. <laughs> <laughs> and there were more of those. There was, there and were, car, was too many. cars, too. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. Right, right. Pulling us pulling us back. Pulling us back. Um, so, uh, Mostly the stories in Night Shift are uh, horror-themed, as is most of King's work, Uh, but there are a couple stories in it, uh, one of which is the one we're about to discuss right now, that are not horror in the traditional sense. I mean, they may have some somewhat horrific elements, but uh, not horror in the traditional sense, and so last rung on the ladder... Pivoting back to you, uh, what did you think about this story? Like, uh, just in in general. Um, well, I will answer that with a slight story. So, you you have recognized that the best way to get me to consume some of these prose works these days is via audio, and just I'm in the mm-hmm. car so much, and and I am appreciative you happen to have the audio of this and the short we're covering next week, and the one we're covering next week is what I listened to first and ah. was deeply kind of moved by it. Yeah. yeah. And was like, wow, wow, we should, you know, we should really make room for that conversation. And, and not having listened to last rung on the ladder. And then I go and listen to it. I was like, uh, 
Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> um, although what's like, interesting, oh and Last Rung on the Ladder would serve this well, too. Um, one, I think I just really enjoyed... I've made this reference before how I don't love the short story format in consumption. I actually like mm, short stories yeah. and, and yeah, especially yeah. enjoy King short stories, but there's something weird. It's, it's a, it's a Nathanism where if I've got, you know, like an everything's eventual or, you know, that's got a, let's say eight to a dozen or however many are in it, there's this weird psychology attached to, well, I'm reading the book and I want to finish the book. And so I don't, give as much sort of emotional space to the individual stories that are in it. Occasionally that's not the case, but you know, more or less that's kind of what can happen. And so yeah, it yeah. was really lovely to listen to these in a vacuum, like in, in total isolation of themselves. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and it was kind of neat to think we referenced this last week with stand by me that, you know, if you just, if you just played either of these, for somebody and said, Hey, you know, just listen to this. This is a little short story and gave no association for it. No one would come away and be like, Oh my God, you know, Stephen King, what a horror right. guy. You know what I mean? Like right. th- these are yeah, not, absolutely. if anything, um, this one's got a little bit of a dramatic and or tragic aspect to it that you might say has a macabre sort of flavor, but I don't really think so. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I, I hear, you know, if anything, these, both of them are very rich, just, slice of life human dramas and i don't know i was, I was very yeah in, in fact i don't know if you want to dive into the content of last rung on the ladder do you want yes to? please okay. yes go um yeah. so last Rung on the ladder short story uh the primary it's it's framed as a lot of king's work is um it's mm-hmm. it's framed by an adult sort of recounting a story um yes and yeah. in this case it's an older gentleman, you know, I, I would imagine thirties ish, something or like that. And yeah. he's telling this, 30s. he's telling this story of he and his sister's experience in the barn in which they grew up. And there was this massive ladder that extended three stories and they would climb it up, climb up it and jump off into a giant bale of hay effectively. And so he One, tells us, uh, I'm going to pause you yeah, right yeah, yeah. there. One important aspect for later in the story. And, and by the way, we are going to, have a conversation about this, so we're going to spoil it. Um, so, so either check the timestamp to skip it, or be aware that we're going to spoil it because I don't want to hinder the conversation. It, so they climb up that ladder, but then they had to crawl uh, like yeah. a few feet yeah. across a beam in order to get to a different spot. That's just important for later. You might have been getting there, so I apologize if you were. No, that's there, fine. But yeah, so yeah, they they climb this massive ladder and have to scooch a, a bit away to get over the hay bale, and so right, right. Um, and and one thing slightly failed to mention here too is the adult mentions having this letter from her. So yeah, as as yeah. an adult, he has this letter, and then he tells the story of them as kids. And so um, they climb up once, they climb up twice on the third go round, I believe. And and you're getting the impression it's it's explicit that the the male character, the brother, is noticing the ricketiness of the ladder as he ascends it, and the third round he makes it he gets all the way up he scooches over he jumps into the hay tries to tell the sister not to go up i think or at least just is aware that she's going up and gets concerned for her the latter she makes it to the top but but near the top uh, yeah. yeah yeah at the last rung uh, per the title yeah. The, yeah. the ladder crumbles beneath her effectively and so she's hanging suspended not above the bale of hay they always jump into so he has to um he hurriedly realizes okay she's gonna fall she may die if she does fall and hits the ground so he 
moves much of the hay over beneath her enough so that she falls and survives. Well, then you, you the framing device finishes when you learn that she has, as an adult, committed suicide by jumping off of a building. And that's the letter yeah. he has learned. Yeah. So I, that was a real crude way to recount that story. But what I was simply trying to get to is I didn't know the story. I, you know, I know enough King to know there might be a, a, a dent of, you know, kind of emotionality to it somewhere, yeah. but, but have yeah. no idea. And as a, as a little boy, he's telling, he's recounting the power of the image of seeing his sister leap like a swan off that upper banister thing. And, and so that image is really lovely and powerful. And he, I think even the text, he says something like was ever a thing as perfect as this type of idea. Mm. And, and so I'm just sitting there listening in the car pickup line, you know, I'm sitting there listening to the story, just kind of, you know, just, I've got, I've got 20 minutes here to kill. That's, that was very intentional. And then you get back to the present day and, I don't remember, I don't have in front of me the, the, the note, what the note said, but you learn. I do. Okay, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So the, so the note said, and, and what, one thing that's important to note, so she did that swan dive off of the, off of the beam, the one that Nathan had said, you know, like he recounts as being like kind of perfect. Well, the headline, he has a newspaper article clipping that says, Call Girl Swan Dives to Her Death, which is yeah. even more poignant. But the letter that she sent him, and she had, it's important to note that she had sent him at least two, but multiple, but two that we're aware of, previous letters, letting him know about her life and asking him to come see her. And because of reasons legitimate to him at the time, he is unable to come see her. So the final letter simply says, I've been thinking about it a lot lately, and what I've decided is that it would have been better for me if that last rung had broken before you could put the hay down. And that's all the letter says. And so he he recounts that if he had seen this letter, he would have immediately known what mental state she was in and would have dropped everything to go and, and be with her. But... And, and forgive me, I can't remember if you said this or not, but um, he had neglected to tell her or to keep her updated on his changing addresses. No, I didn't mention and, that. Yeah. And so and because he had neglected to tell her this, the letter she sent got forwarded like two or three times. And he's and one line in it that I didn't write down, but he said, like, the scratching out of the addresses felt like accusations. And and so like he it got to him like two weeks after it would have gotten to him. And he recounts that it would have the the last line or, you know, her uh, observation that it would have been better if she had died. Basically, you know, if the last rung had broken before he could put the hay down and she had died, then that would have been enough to send him running. But it took so long to get to him. It was too late. And so he he did not receive the letter until she had already made her decision. This and, is, uh, this yeah. is not the same, but last rung on the ladder doesn't do quite the heavy lifting that another short story I'm about to reference does, but mm. it is, but last rung on the ladder is a similar of where I'm going with this of King's mastery of this form, which is to say his capacity to truncate a lot of character work in a very short space. Oh um, yes, yes. And do you remember what book is it with the short 
where the two women neighbors, it's a poor, they're kind of on the poor side, have the fan full of kids that are going to some amusement park and end up, do you know where I'm going with this? They end up uh, killing themselves. I, I don't, I'm not, I'm, this is not pinging it's, for me. Is it a King one? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's, yeah it's, it's not it's not pinging for me. Well, there's a short story he has where these these two trailer park neighbor type women and all their kids somehow scrape together or something enough money to take them all to like envision like a Carowinds or Six Flags or something not on a Disney sure, scale. Sure. And I remember reading this and what happens is basically the text of the material is their ride, their drive. Well, mm. where the story begins is them driving and recounting the energy and enthusiasm around this. And where the story ends is they have this mutual agreement and drive off the road, killing all of them. Well, which is awful. It is awful. But mm, mm. I was so impressed from a technical level. I was like, I don't care about these people at the outset. I don't like them. They're not likable people. By the midpoint, you're like, okay, wow. By the end of it, you're like, oh my God, I cannot believe not just that you, you subjected me to this story, but <laughs> his yeah. ability to take in that case, what, 20, 30 pages and be like, no, I actually totally understand why these characters have now done this terrible thing. Right. And that's right. what he's incredibly impressive at. Yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah. with last run on the ladder, where I'm simply trying to make the connection here is her sentence to him of you shouldn't have done that. Like so much life, uh, so much life and relationship of these two characters is loaded into that one sentence. Like, and the fun of it as a, as a reader is your imagination gets to do that work. And it's kind of, sure, it's, it's sad sure. and it's tragic, but you get to kind of like, just imagine you, you're, you're told, uh, more than you're given, if that makes any sense. Oh, absolutely. And I, and, and I'll, I'll, uh, see your compliment and, and raise you a little bit. Like he does it for, for me in this story, he does volumes with about five different sentences. And I, and, and I, I don't have them memorized and I didn't have them written down, but I, I think you'll remember where I'm going with this. He talks about the difference between the, our main character in last run on the ladder's name is Larry. And then his sister's name is Kitty. And so, the difference between Larry's leap into the hay and Kitty's leap into the hay is expressed in like four or five sentences towards the end where he talks about how he was always unsure, like always a little scared that the hay wouldn't break his fall or that somehow he would miss the hay, that the, that the hay wouldn't be there. And he describes Kitty a couple of times as uh, like she always knew the hay would be there. And so because one of the revelations that comes in the story is that she was hanging on to the ladder, but she could not see because she was holding on and looking up. She could not see that her brother was putting hay down below her to break her fall. So she didn't know what he was doing. All she heard was him telling her to hang on, hang on, hang on, and then her tell him to let go. And so she is in awe of him. Like she breaks her ankle, but uh, when he goes in to check on her after she's woken up from this, um, she's like lovingly in awe of him. And he, and she's like, you put down hay to break my fall. And he's like, you didn't know I was doing that. And she's, and she I says, I did write no. the line down. Oh, what does she say? Yeah. She says, I knew you must have been doing something to fix it. If you're my big brother. I knew you'd take care of me. Oh my gosh. Which is devastating to right. him. Right. 
right. and devastating to us as the readers of the piece. And and you talk about this great capacity King has for expressing a wealth, a lifetime of, of character history and understanding in a few sentences. It comes down in this story to Larry's the guy who always leaps, never quite sure if the hay will catch him, and she was the one that always knew the hay would be there, but because of the turn her life takes, like, and there's a couple of things that that are specific in there, like she gets into a couple of bad, and uh, it's implied, abusive relationships, and um, a couple of those things just sort of beat her down, like life just beats her down, and all of her optimism and all of her hope just all sort of dwindles and shaves away, and then the I believe the last line of the piece, which again I didn't write down, but I believe the last line of the piece is something akin to Larry saying she was the one who always knew the hay would be there. Um, and, and just, and just how devastating that is to, to look at a character who's, who started life full of trust and optimism and hope. And then it just piece by piece gets carved away from her. Like she says in one of his letters, um, and he's recounting all of this to the audience and she says in one of her letters, you know, uh, P.S., can you please come see me? It's been a while. And he, he has good reasons, like, to him at the time. Like, he has these reasons of, you know, like, I, I, I couldn't do it when I was in law school because losing a week in law school is like losing an entire semester in other, you know, places. Um, and he said, I couldn't do it uh, when she asked me the second time because I had started work at a new firm and it was cutthroat for promotion. And if I had left at that point, like I would, I would never get that chance again. So to him, there were these pockets of space that he could have come and, and reached out and, and, and been in relationship with her or maybe pulled her back from this, but couldn't. And he says, and, and this is devastating, but he says that he chooses to think that she was tired of waiting rather than to think that he had given up on her. And I'm like, oh, mm. my God. Like, just, right. and, and like, we're, we're describing this story that, I mean, in, in you know, the audiobook is about 30 minutes, so it takes 20 to 30 minutes to read. Packs, I don't even think it's that long, but yeah. Yeah, it takes, it packs a wallop. I mean, this is. Well, I mean, it's funny because when, story. when, as I mentioned, like, intuiting, there may be some kind of edge to this, but not having, not knowing what it would be once the framing device kicks back in and he reads the clipping headline, as you alluded, call girl swan dives off building. I was like, wait, what? Oh my gosh. Oh my God. Yeah. Wait, what? Like I literally, yeah. I rewound it. I, I backed up. I was like, wait, did I miss something? You know? <laughs> Cause uh, yeah. not, not yeah. even because like he didn't do the work to, to tell me what happened, but as in, I was so like jarred. Um, and I did want to highlight in this, if we were going to go deep on these, I don't have a ton to say about it, but would be a thematic yeah. care, a, a thematic sort of springboard, a line he's referencing the newspaper clipping. And he said, mm -hmm. I carry that clipping the way you carry something heavy because carrying it is your work. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I was just so struck by that. And I, I do think there's space in the conversation about these two characters for acknowledging perhaps a codependence, like an unhealth there but yeah but regardless i was so struck by that line carrying it is your work and yeah i feel for me personally in my faith journey of these days and these years um that rings so true like this is mm. the 
again, it could be construed as unhealthy. Like if you took it too far and I, I totally recognize that, like at a certain point, you know, Kitty chooses the choices she does and, and he yeah. doesn't, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, well, yeah. Yeah. But I think as mature striving to be mature people of faith, embodiers of Jesus, I think the notion carrying it as your work mm. is kind of the deal, right? Like yeah. we, yeah. like, like me, I really did not mean to connect these are happening in real time. Like me listening to the stories of black and brown brothers and sisters plight over and watching narrative yeah. depiction of yeah. is, yeah. is fraught with guilt and shame, not in an unhealthy way per se, because I don't like go there and just live there and dwell there, but because carrying it is my work. Like yeah. I have to be privy and knowledgeable and conscious and conscientious to the plight of those around me. And, and especially in Larry to Kitty, especially in a dynamic like that, where it's like, I have to be cognizant of the role I play, you know, yeah. whether right. it's, whether it's by omission or by commission to use good old church type words. Like <laughs> right, I think right. carrying it as the work is something we have to be attuned to. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I, I couldn't, no, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think that's a, a, that's a good place to, to sort of close this portion of things. Um, and, and I will say this, that it, we've, we've hit the major beats of the story, but, uh, as, uh, our friend of the show, Bill Oberst Jr. said when he was guesting on here, like the written material is not about like what happens. It's about these asides. It's about the observations. It's about the way that the material is contextualized. And so even knowing ev if you've listened to it and you now know everything that happens in the story, it is still really powerful to read. It's very moving. It is, uh, it is poignant and heartbreaking, uh, but it is a very powerful and affecting story. And I think you should seek it out. I think you should read it. Um, it's available in the collection night shift, um, or probably, you know, available in a variety of other places that you could just, um, you know, seek out. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's great. It's called the last rung on the ladder. Um, and it is our, uh, installment for the shorter portion of Stephen King's non-horror material in this, uh, little hashtag different seasons. But now Nathan, great. Are you ready? Are you ready to do? Are you ready to do this? Let's, I don't know what I'm ready. For. I don't know where this is all gonna go. Good gracious! This is this is a film that I made in 1987 with a director, <laughs> and it was. I'm not. I promise, I'm not gonna be here the whole time. I'll bring Reed back. But this is such a great movie, The Running Man. Have you seen The Running Man? You watched it. Right? I watched it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yes uh we are revisiting of course welcoming back uh arnold old arnold to the screen i i actually have never met arnold but i would love to he seems like well, of course a, yeah, yeah. I, I would, oh I would we'd have to meet Arnold. we'd know that by now reed if i know anything about you i'd have known that by now <laughs> Shut up. So, um, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so this is, um, the, the film, The Running Man was originally a novel by Stephen King, but published as Richard Bachman and published at a time when Stephen King's pseudonym of Richard Bachman was not known to the public. Um, it was known by obviously his publisher, um, and, you know, his close friends and family, and obviously, but the mass populace did not know 
that Richard Bachman is Stephen King at the point that Running Man was done. In fact, the novel's rights were acquired to turn it into a film before it was known that Stephen King was Richard Bachman. So um, now you've have you ever read the book? No. Oh wow. So I've never. Is... I've. I've. Um. I've probably read. I don't know. Seventy percent of King's works, but never have I read a Bachman. I, I haven't read any. Oh, you've never read any of them. Okay. Uh-huh. All right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh man. So I mean, we don't spend a ton of time on this. Seventy percent like, might be overstating, but I've read more than half of King's work. Yeah. Gotcha. Um. Well, specifically, his Bachman books, thinner. The Running Man and The Long Walk are fantastic. They're each huh. fantastic in their own way. So, yeah, I mean, like, I'm not as big of a fan of road work. And as we had briefly discussed. Like trucks? <laughs> right. Tr- trucks um, and road work. What a, like, wow, what a weird what, preoccupation with King's God. <laughs> Just like <laughs> civil engineering or something? Like automotive, well, and then on the rever- what's happening? On the reverse end of that spectrum, then you've got titles like Sometimes They Come Back and these big, like, mouthy word, you know, long titles. But um, anyway, the, the, so, the, but those three Bachman novels, The Running Man, Thinner, and The Long Walk, are, are really very strong. Um, the first Bachman novel is one that King would like you to not necessarily read, I think, uh, because he pulled it out of print. And that's his novel, Rage, that we briefly discussed in passing right. in the context of guns. Uh, last week but um but yeah so the running man is uh, it is a propulsive read like it is uh, you're a, you're a propulsive read <laughs> i don't even know what that means <laughs> I mean, like i knew you were gonna say it and i'm like i don't <laughs> you were trying I don't to brush past her real quick <laughs> And I love how you And I love how you were just kind of like unsure in the middle of you're oh, a no. propul- I, propul- I knew I was gonna do it. I just was trying to look for my opening. <laughs> oh my gosh. So um it's one of his most like fast paced novels. He's talked he's described it before as talking about like it is almost pure story. We've talked about King's great character work, but uh he he presumably wrote The Running Man in like a week. He said it was it was written. I don't know the exact quote, but written by a man who was like angry and passionate and was enamored with the craft of writing and just like poured the book down. And it is very different. The novel is is similar in some fundamental ways, but is very different from the film that we eventually get. I'll point out some of those differences as we get to it, and like trivial bits and everything. But. Um, do you want me to kind of, I guess I'm going to ask you and defer to you, do you want to get into some reactions to the film right now, or do you want to like head through trivial bits and include some novel stuff before we get to all that? Um, hmm. That's a, that's a good question. Um, like I, well, I'll give a quick sort of reaction, and that's like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I I had not seen this movie at all. And, um, you know, I, I think going into it, I mean, how would you, how would you genre this? Like, is well, this it, is action. Well, it's action. Well, yeah, I, I know that, but like, it's not full bore, but is it slightly parody? Like, it's got this like real, I was not ready for um. the tone, the tonal sort of. <laughs> I, I think even looking at the um cover art um which is this real stoic Arnold you know monochromatic with the the loud title in red I think going into it I was thinking something more predator you know more kind of 
Mm, mm, mm-hmm. S- serious might be the wrong word, but you know, like grit your teeth. No, I, I'll put it this way. I was unprepared for all of the one-liners. I was like, whoa, this is not what I was expecting out of this movie. Sure, um, sure, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, I think in the way that like, because here's what I would say. I don't have the right word, uh, yeah, but yeah. I think I think parody would not be the right word. Uh, right, the, right. The, the 80s were a time of tremendous extremes in filmmaking. Like there's there's a lot of unintentional absurdity that when we look back at it now it looks absurd but at the time was not that it was being demonstrated as tangible reality but did not have the gloss of ridiculousness that it looks at look looks like now looking back at it Um, and I would say that about a large number of 80s films Um, in terms of like the one-liners they are obviously meant to be humorous and jokey and silly but it is one of the things that kind of the action superstar of the 80s does he fires off these silly quips about and so it's difficult to remember that predator had them because once the predator is introduced in the film they kind of stop like the yeah, stakes yeah, yeah. raise, yeah, but, oh, yeah. but you know, they're, when they're, you know, uh, first charging and this is in predator when they're first charging that compound and everything, Arnold's like stick around and everything. Like That's he's true. throwing That's out, true. he's That's throwing true. out those same things. It, again, it's difficult to remember that those are in predator because once the alien sort of starts his work, they stop. And then it, bec- the tone yeah. becomes much more straightforward. Well, and I think, I think even in reading about the film after watching it, one thing that is, you know, registering for me even right now is you have to overlay the fact that this was made in the era of and has a heavy blanket of professional wrestling energy about it. Oh like, like, yes, and 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 so oh, I guess yes. that was just something I was like, whoa, I, I did, whoa, okay, oh, here we are. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, Jess, Jess, yeah. Ver, Jesse's first. Arrival into the movie, I was like, "Whoa, what?" <laughs> I, did, <laughs> right. I did not expect, you know, Captain Freedom to be Good old Captain sh- Freedom. shaking his groove thing on a workout show. <laughs> 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 that was great. It anyway, was so anyway, great. so yes, that was just kind of knee-jerk reaction. Was just did not know what to expect, and definitely didn't expect what I got. Um, right, but yeah, right. we can we can we can trade through some trivial some bits. bits. And, yeah. So um, the the thing to know about. The thing to know about any Richard Bachman books, they have, even those King, a lot of King's material can be dark, just in general. Um, the, the Bachman books specifically have come to be known in general as a bit more grim and pessimistic than his primary material. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a couple of works of Stephen King's that, that many people are like, well, that's more like a Bachman book. They throw Cujo in there. They throw um, Pet Cemetery in there, where they're like, these are the kinds of things that you that had his pseudonym continued. They would have been, you know, Richard Bachman books because uh, they just take on a bit more of a pessimistic might not be the right word, but they just they're just grimmer in in general. They're they're. Heroes just do not land well. Uh, there's very little hope in the overall narrative of them. And Running Man, the book, um, is is very like that. It's it's got some similarities. The similarities basically end at the character names and the fact that our hero has to survive while being hunted on national television. Like that's kind of where the similarities stop. Um, because like 
I'll, I'll rattle off just a couple that hopefully won't spoil the novel too much, but then I'll spoil something major about the novel. Uh, in the novel, the contestants aren't convicts. They're not criminals. Uh, they sign up to do it. They sign up and train to do it. Mm. Um, in the novel, uh, Ben Richards is playing the game to earn an inheritance uh, for his wife and daughter. The The other similarity is that it is sort of a dystopian future. But also, he survives longer than any previous contestant only to discover that his wife and daughter were murdered before he even started playing. <laughs> um, and so the whole reason he was doing this that's, is, is that's not, null that's, and void. That's not dark at all. <laughs> right? Um, well, uh, so here's here's the end. I'm about to spoil the ending of the novel for you, y'all, uh, everybody. Um, but uh, the, the ending of the novel, he is on a plane where he is about to go back and collect his winnings when he discovers that his wife and daughter have been murdered. Um, so then, when that's the case, he is offered, as he's offered in the film, he's offered to be, they call them stalkers uh, mm-hmm. in the film, in the in the novel they're hunters, but he's offered to be a hunter and uh, declines, kills the people on the plane, and crashes the plane into a skyscraper. So, oh my gosh, <laughs> that's the ending of the that's oh, the ending of the novel. Wow. Um. So that's a, yeah. It that's that's so nobody <laughs> so nobody gets their balls sawed in two in the novel. That's that's not a thing. <laughs> As memory serves, no. Um. Or 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 to categorize it the way Arnold put it, he had to split. Um, oh my so, god. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh man. Yes. Oh, oh, oh man. man. <laughs> oh man. So, uh, wow. So yeah, yeah that's, that's a that's a the that's, novel's dark. That's the dark. novel's dark. Uh, ironically, the novel does end with that uh, Joe Parr song, "Restless Heart," like playing over the credits. Like that's uh, that that is still you know ironically that is still uh, an aspect of the novel. So you can uh, you can go enjoy that. Okay. <laughs> that's intense. I, I, don't so, know, I don't know. I don't know how we. No, how we dive back into the movie. So uh, this was a. I'll, I'll, I'll get you. I'll get okay. you there. So, um, from the novel, based on the novel, uh, Dolph Lundgren and Christopher Reeve had both expressed an interest in starring in it before it went to Schwarzenegger. The Christopher he, Reeve one would have been he a man and Superman. Yeah, basically, He-Man and Superman both wanted to be in this, and instead we got Arnold, which, I mean, gosh, he's, he's great in this. Um, but the, it was released the same year as Predator and was originally slated to I come out. Yeah. Oh, yeah, go, well, why don't you go no. ahead and call it? Or, no. Oh, no, sorry, sorry. Um, But slated for one month later, but it was pushed out from July to November so that the two films wouldn't compete with each other because Predator was a big hit. And so they were like, well, Running Man's going to suffer because everybody's still wanting to go see Predator. And so they, they pushed it out. Um, that was just the I, summer of Arnold. It was, absolutely. Well, and when he when he came to popularity, like, it it was. It was one of those things where, like, he was just in a lot um, in that core 80s sort of wave. He was 39 um, when he made this. Yes, yes. That is crazy to me to think about. Like, that's my age. Yeah, I mean, I, I could have played this part. You know, I looked that good last year. <laughs> Ooh, that's awesome! <laughs> that's awesome. I, 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 I believe it. I believe Speaking it. of looking good, <laughs> Arnold with a beard—that's a good look. Yeah, yeah, and he does it in very few films, but but <laughs> he did it. He did it like the beginning of Kindergarten Cop. I remember that. Wow, uh, it's not a tumor he, there. 
It's not. It's not. Um, <laughs> but trying to remember where else he had like a beard. Uh, he's got it in Aftermath, uh, which is in a later what? film for him. Aftermath, which is a, a, like a later film for him. Hmm. But um, he's but got yeah, some so. stubble in the new Terminator, right? I didn't see that, but. Oh yes, I think you're right. I haven't seen it yet, but uh, but yes. Uh, Regardless, uh, I hadn't seen yeah. I hadn't seen old bearded Arnold, and that was a yeah. I was like, that's right. It's a good look, and then he shaved. I was like, oh well, <laughs> that didn't last so, long. I have um, I have just two more bits of trivia. So Schwarzenegger and Richard Dawson. Richard Dawson plays uh, Damon Killian. Um, following this, they they stayed good friends uh, for the remainder of Dawson's life. Um, and but Richard Dawson was a longtime host of Family Feud. The, I, I don't quite know the tone in which to deliver this information, but it is reported <laughs> by most people who work. Do it like Arnold. He, I'm just kidding. It, here's here's the thing, <laughs> Richard Dawson. It is reported that his treatment of the people that worked for him is very much like Damon Killian. Like, he was not kind to the people who worked for him. He would be very complimentary no! to your face. And then then you turn around, he'd be like, fire that person, because I don't want that person working here because he hit me with a mop. So, like, that's, yeah. that's basically, yeah. yes. So it is reported that Richard Dawson was a little bit of an a-hole. Uh, I, I, it's, it's difficult to... Uh, uh, you know, to know how to contextualize that in the fact that Richard Dawson's gone now, and so like, uh, what do you, what I do you mean, say you about know, people? But you know, a hole in life, <laughs> a hole in death. <laughs> guess, okay, character yes, is okay. destiny, man. <laughs> so, well, yeah, we we have established that. Um, <laughs> Jeremy Barrowman. Well, Jeremy Barrowman. So I did. <laughs> so I did find out and found it interesting that Thomas Del Ruth, um, who had been the cinematographer for Stand by Me, mm-hmm. was also the cinematographer for this. So I just I found that interesting. That, that's um, wild. And ironically, uh, this film takes place from 2017 till 2019. So this is basically yeah, it's know, right now a world. It's a world without fear of God. Is the way I see it. Is like this is what things would be if we didn't have the fear of God here. So uh, just uh, you're welcome, everybody, because, yeah. So, yeah, so there's, yeah, there's I'm sure. That. Yeah, we've got a, that level of impact. Um, you're welcome. Although it is interesting, like, you describing the discrepancies between the book and the film, I actually think the nature of them being incarcerated adds a thematic flavor to it that is yes. intriguing, you know. Um, yeah, no, I agree, I agree. Do you want some of the changes what? the film some of the changes the film makes I I, I think they work like uh, I, I I like the novel uh, in so much as something that grim can be enjoyed like I said it's 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 very fast-paced it is a completely propulsive narrative um, but I think yeah the, some of the things from a thematic standpoint work perhaps a little better in the film uh, just from my personal standpoint do you want to dive into some of the movies? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's, let's, let's run. Dislikes let's, this. let's run, man. Let's run. Let's you know, run, man. I'm going to tell you a little funny thing here. So, okay. Something I don't think I've ever said on the show before is that historically I'm a fan of the band Hanson, the brothers. You know? mm, and sure. they have a song called the running man oh, or, or, I had or, that. or running man. And every, like it's in my head right now. So, oh, okay. Yeah, right. yeah. It's, just, it, it's it's not even like one of my favorites of theirs. It just is, and so I it just is. Yeah, it yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I do love that at the start of this movie when Arnold is flying this chopper. <laughs> Get to the chopper. Um, Get to the chopper. I love that it's like, did he just start working for them? 
because <laughs> because what is being asked of him seems like a super casual ask, like super run of the mill. This is just what we do, and he's like, right, no, right. like well, did what, did this just start? Did he just start <laughs> in this job? He just now grew a conscience. I don't know. It was just really funny to me that he's like, sure, hey, murder all those people because that's just what we do. No, what do you mean? Right. No? Right, right. Yeah. Well, and that's well, and part of it too. So, so I mean, I, I hear you, and I think your your question was kind of, or the observation was a little, a little on the jokey side, partially serious, but partially jokey. I will say that's that, like, me. There it is. Um, part of it too is to be thought about. Like, it cannot be ignored thematically or for the context of the story that this is a world in which the government controls the narrative. So, I could believe that until you are in the thick of things that you had been sort of fed along the way, the party line, everything is kosher, we only harm the bad guys and all this other sort of stuff, and not until you are then given this specific directive to go and do this awful thing are you then realizing, like, wait a minute, no, like, what are you talking about? I can't do that. No, I can see, Um, I can see that. Yeah. Just in the moment of watching it, that sounded dismissive the way I just said that it wasn't meant to be, but you, you do make a point that like it stands possibly that he may have just not known this was part of the deal. Um, yeah, just in the moment it was like, wow, this is like super, a super casual ask they're making of him. Um, (laughs) yeah. Eliminate everybody down there. Well, and then it's important to note too, that they, order him to eliminate all of them, but then do not reveal that to the, but then they blame him as the Bakersfield butcher. Sure. Like they order him to do it. And then they act as if this was this heinous, awful thing that he did. So it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of twisted. Disinformation, misinformation. That does not sound like a thing a government would do whatsoever. No, never, never. I really don't. No, I don't. Not at all. No, no. (laughs) Oh, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, and I guess it matters. So to explicitly state, yes, he works for the government. He defies orders. He gets in prison for doing so. He breaks out of prison in so doing. And we'll we'll back up and unpack some of this. But in so doing, gets recruited by the produ- the producer of the Running Man show. Um, yes, yes. But that matters to my next note, which is like, <laughs> again, you got to recognize. I did not. I had not seen the movie. I didn't watch the trailer. All I knew was what I thought was a sort of serious tone and then all of a sudden my man chico or whatever his name is head explodes as he runs through the thing i was like whoa whoa I, whoa <laughs> oh I, I, did, I didn't didn't see that coming <laughs> <laughs> the, body, the body like keeps going <laughs> I, I am not making this up so my wife we've got we've got three christmas trees in our house right now it's a bit crazy and I've got my headphones on. I'm in the bedroom watching this movie. My wife is putting up the Christmas tree. We got a Christmas tree in our room. She's like just decorating the Christmas tree. And my guy runs through the, runs through the, you know, it's like, it's like the barrier on Lost, you know, the fence, the gate thing and just heads mm, float. Mm. And, but although much more dramatically so. And <laughs> he runs through and just, just like pop, you know, and I, I busted out laughing, not even because <laughs> that's so funny. But I was so thrown by just having no clue that was going to happen. Like, whoa, that is unexpected. <laughs> and his head pops so clean, too. It's like, clearly this is a very, like, it's a finely tuned laser that that <laughs> explodes this they part of his body. They worked really hard on 
that capability. It's like, okay. now, can it just like his, the upper body? What if it's just kind of mishmash upper body explode? No, 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 no. It Not literally that. has to be at the clavicle. Like, <laughs> like a, like a pimple. At the clavicle. <laughs> at the clavicle like at the collarbone just everything above there just bursts right off the shoulders oh my gosh oh my gosh that's clean it's clean yes also clean um so yeah you gotta love this is this is number one on my likes dislikes you gotta love those 80s futuristic movies where clearly technology is fine-tuned to the point to where, like, closed-circuit television is everywhere. Like, everybody can see everything. And they can fine-tune a laser to pop a man's head. But Arnold still finds restricted cassette tapes, cassette tapes, in Amber's apartment. Like, he pulls out... Well, he doesn't pull out CDs. He doesn't pull out any... You know, like, it's it's cassette tapes. And I recognize that, like, it's 1987. Some of that technology didn't exist. But you just got to love those 80s, like, future movies where, like, well, all the computers this, still show DOS. Yes. 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 That was, yeah. I mean, the, the technology is way ahead of its time in this film. Um, <laughs> but backing up, backing up a little bit, this just tripped me out. It was hysterical. And I went back to make sure I heard what I thought I heard. So between Arnold's escape and the Amber scene you're referring to before we meet Amber... There is a scene with uh, Killian, um, yes, yeah. in like a producer's, you know, kind of room. Uh, screens everywhere. His his lackeys and whatnot. Not to be confused with you. Um, mm, are mm, mm. yeah, I don't work for Killian. Yeah, yeah. He's on the phone. I don't remember why, but in the background, who I refer to as Siri, Siri is <laughs> talking about the candidates, the possible candidates for the running man. And of course these are convicts. So what <laughs> Siri is recounting of these various candidates is their crimes. Reed, mm-hmm. did you catch that <laughs> at one point <laughs> during this scene, Siri's in the background, like, yes, this, 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 oh, murder and murder and death and murder. And then, then it just happens to drop in the four counts of bestiality. <laughs> yes. And I was I like, not. no way. What? So I backed it up to make sure I wasn't wrong. And sure enough, it's in there. It's in there. And I was like, really? They thought. You heard, you they... heard it and your head just popped right off your yeah. body. Just like. <laughs> just... <laughs> what did she just say? No. Yeah. Oh. no, no, no. It's not that it was bestiality, which is bad enough and terrible. It's Ugh. there were four counts of it. Like they, the screenwriter <laughs> thought. You know what? It's, <laughs> it's this person's just not. It's a, a serial. Single, yeah, <laughs> a single, a single instance of this is not transgressive enough. We need Ooh. some someone in the writers' room that's just like, okay, you know what? Okay, fine. Two counts. No, 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 no. You know it'll be really effed up. Four counts. Four counts of bestia. Put that in the script. Like, that's right. Yeah. Like, what do you what do you call the crime at that point? Littering. Like, come on. Like. What is, <laughs> it's like why is that i don't know if you want that person on your show that this is no. gonna be you know that was that the vetting process needs some work on that oh show. hide anyway. your dogs hide your cats <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh, oh no oh man Oh, man. Oh, my goodness. Reed said, hide your cats. Um, so, yeah, the next scene, I had a lot of fun things to say about that, too. So, we, okay. you know, Arnold shaves, you know, you got clean shaven Arnold again. Okay, fine, whatever. And 
uh, he goes back to what I think it was a friend's. It was a friend, what he thought was going to be his friend's apartment because it previously was. His brother. Okay. His brother. Sure. Yeah. Whatever. Um, who's, <laughs> I mean, yeah. You just, caught the four counts of bestiality, <laughs> but you did catch <laughs> brother's apartment. <laughs> <laughs> the things you zone in on in the movie. <laughs> oh, I'm getting a headache. Oh, God, that's funny. Um, his brother, his brother's place. Yeah, his, his brother. So he shows up, and you meet Amber. But you don't just meet Amber because this is this is an '80s action movie. So you meet yeah. Amber while she's doing her workout video, and you don't just meet Amber while she's doing her workout video. You meet. Amber, while she's doing her workout video in lacy nightwear, right? Like, <laughs> right, right, like, right. come on, come on. The yeah. a- the eighties action film never met a woman they couldn't objectify, right? It's just <laughs> right. hilarious. Like, sure, that's what people do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna get my most elegant. <laughs> my just in case, 90. just in case you never know if a giant muscled you know austrian <laughs> is gonna walk through the door <laughs> sweating to the comfort you gotta yeah. be ready oh wow so <clears throat> i have another thing that i thought was funny and yeah this, tell me. so when this is not the place for that when the when the production ends like when the when the official broadcast ends and the like credits the are rolling yeah, towards the end of the film, oh. and the credits are rolling mm-hmm. in a ca- in the TV camera in the like upper left hand corner of the screen, and uh, Killian is standing in front of it. the The credits are rolling, and the credits start very like innocuous. It's like thank you, Tim, George, Gary, Paul, Rob, Keith, and then it starts going off the rails because it says the next credit says, "What next? I don't know." And the next credit says titles type M wrong. The next one says makeup paint your face. The next one says props by property. The next one says locations buy too long here. And then it says uh, art director red G blue and primary colors music by do re mi. Like it's the most ridiculous. And that's, just, that's I, actually what's up there. Yeah. I just had this like out of body experience talking about this earlier where I thought okay. Reed's just not going to stop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna all. I'm gonna read every single one of the credits. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say and then it says, and then it says, and, and then, then it says, and, then, and, then, and you're like, four hours later, and we're still sitting here. Reads reading I'm, every single. I'm one the running of the man now. <laughs> we yes. That, oh I gosh. mean, come on. What do you you know? What are you gonna do? Sure, just... sure. Um. So I felt like Arnold's. Because we were a few years removed from Terminator at the point of this film, but I felt like the "I'll be back," inc- "I'll be back," the inclusion felt a bit forced. Oh, um, a bit? But- you think? <laughs> and then, like Killian responds, like only in a rerun. Um, I do. So I-, I also like just want to call out some of Arnold's one-liners that you're referencing. Did you write? These down? Are you were you wanting to say them? Some of them, sure. I mean, sure. Go ahead. I just didn't know if you, you were going to walk through the story or just sort of name them willy nilly. Go ahead. No. 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 You go. No. You. No. Whoa. 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 I mean, come on. Maybe the worst one. On I'll be back. I was like, really? Come on. Okay. Sure. Sure. Uh, yeah, you, but the yeah. the worst one, like worst, is in like 
dumb. Oh, so they dumb. introduce. Uh, so they've got the stalkers in the film, which are meant to hunt down their candidates in the Running Man game. Um, and wow. one of them's name is Sub Zero, which <laughs> you oh, know. Let me just let me just check you real quick. Like I played Mortal Kombat, and that is not Sub Zero. Oh, yeah. Um, but Get over here at Scorpion, actually, after uh, look at you. Um, <laughs> I don't think Sub Zero says anything. Um, but so Arnold pulls off a fatality on the movie Sub Zero, <laughs> and he says, I, "I'm not going to do it." What does he say? Read. It's awful. He says, "Sub Zero now, Plane Zero." I mean. That's- it's that so was dumb. Bad. It's so dumb. It's it's not even like trying to be funny. It's just, yeah. It, it, I mean, well, what's funny about you saying that exact language is later on when he the way his one liner after killing Fireball, I, I wrote, it's like they aren't even trying. <laughs> um, I mean, with Sub Zero, even after that, someone says, "So glad we took care of him," and they had like um, strangled him. And <laughs> Arnold's response is, "He was a real pain in the neck." Like y'all. Come on. Come on. (laughs) It is weird to think about the amount of, I don't know, steroids and lines of coke that generated these scripts, right? In the (laughs) 80s. It is a wild time in upper upper echelon Hollywood. (laughs) And this, I tell you, this whole flick is like an 80s action formula paint by numbers. Like this this is the 80s action recipe for what you what you want from it uh, including all of those ridiculous puns although i do like it's it's almost a blink and you'll miss it i do like when uh fireball first like you know takes his jet packs and lands down and uh amber curses she she says uh she says jesus and then arnold just says guess again i actually laughed at that one i thought that was funny he would <laughs> you would. Yeah, I did. I liked it. I liked it. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's lots of things that we could criticize and rake across the coals. There's some things I genuinely do um uh, appreciate non-ironically. Um so well, this film me. was well, the film was made before the reality TV craze. So like it is interesting to me uh, like they envision this futuristic thing, which it just does come from the novel where you envision a place where entertainment is not scripted. It is manufactured still, but it is not uh, scripted per se. You just put people into scenarios and then manipulate the scenarios themselves. Um, and I, d- I do find that interesting uh, that it's sort of on the horizon in this uh, in this mid-80s range. It, in- um, it inspired American Gladiators. It did, yes. Which did you ever watch that show? I love that of show. Of course, I watched American Gladiators. <laughs> you like don't don't, don't, don't be playing Zero Reed. Yeah. Of course, I watched. <laughs> My God. Of course, I watched American Gladiators. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so great. Um, well, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> Just because I watched a thing doesn't mean it was great. I mean, here we are. <laughs> I only watched great. I had discerning tastes. Okay, right. I only watched amazing material. Sure. Sure. Um, I, and then just as a commentary, like it, it's a it's a grim commentary. But while Sub Zero is like stalking the runners, and well, well, while all of the stalkers are stalking the runners, Killian is then showering the audience member with prizes. You know, like the Running Man board game, the Home Edition, a movie projector, like all of these things that they're like showering the contestants with prizes, while literally. Life and death is is on the line. That's uh, that's kind of that's kind of crazy. 
the I, the last like sort of active note that I had, honestly, is um, so. <laughs> uh, spoiler alert: the bad guys lose in this. Um, but the I was glad to see Killian go down in the end, obviously. But then it just felt really weird to me that when he dies, the audience is applauding and cheering, and and I'm just saying, I was like, yeah, it. Didn't we learn anything from... No. Like, <laughs> of course we don't learn anything. It's just, it's okay that the bad guy is now uh, is now dying. So that's, right. that that makes it all right. Well, what's so, funny is, um, you know, we, I have these moments. Clearly, this is going to be the second time I've made this reference to a piece of media where a thing happens in it. And I'm like, wait, did I miss something? When the fake fight happens... You know? Oh yes, yes. yes. I, really, I was like, "Whoa, um, what I miss?" I, 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 back, I, had, I, had, I had to back Did I doze that. off here. I had, What's to, that? I had to back that thing up. That's a legitimate question these days. Did I doze off? <laughs> Did I doze off? Just, it's very possible. Something's not making sense. <laughs> um, it's like I thought he died, but now he's not him, and I don't. Right, I, right, wait right. a minute. What? What just happened? Um, yeah, because they and and that is the one that is the one element. It, it it is an element in the novel, but it's much more pronounced in the in the film. Um, that uh, well, I should ask before I just dive right in here. Did did you have any scares in this in this piece? Um, I forced one, and that was just the injection they put between his fingers was painful to watch. <laughs> that is, yeah, that's it. That's that was it. <laughs> that's that's true. Um, I mean, it's a little grim when uh, Amber stumbles into the locker room of the previous year's winners and finds their remains instead. But it's not like a jump moment or anything. Um, so the so this could be pivoting into perhaps some theme. Do it if you yeah if you have some theme then we can share mutually. But um, it is important to note that like the government is actively controlling the narrative. Um, they are. Uh, doing things behind the scenes and then in that fake fight that you mentioned, what that fake fight is because Captain Freedom gets so offended at like the shenanigans going on in the, in the running arena that he basically quits. So then they take a video of him like fighting somebody completely different and they transpose Arnold's image onto the fight to appear to the audience as if Arnold has just been killed and as if the game has just been won. Uh, when in point of fact, Arnold is still uh, on the loose, on the run at the moment that they do that. Um, but there is a lot to consider about the simple idea of controlling a narrative with, I, I, like it made me think a lot of the current, very legitimately frightening sort of deep fake stuff and, mm -hmm. and things that people are doing to they're starting to get passed around on the internet of like videos of people in different situations than the originals. And right now it's only being done from what I can see with uh, like interviews that are very public already. So you'll have, you know, an interview with Bill Hader, like talking to Conan and as he's doing impressions, they transpose Tom Cruise's face over top of Bill Hader's face as he's doing an impression. And, but it, it does look rather eerie and looks rather alarming. And so um, it was just interesting to connect those dots and, and see a world, fictional though it may be, in which they literally manipulate the inputs and the, and the transmission to say what they want to say. Um, and, you know, this is not the first story to do that. It certainly wouldn't be the last from 1987. But, uh, yeah, I, I found that to be 
pretty inter- interesting and has its own sort of existential dread uh, in baked into the concept. It does. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know how like how explicitly America 2019 you want to get. <laughs> oh, you know what? We <clears throat> we've easily got another ten minutes. So. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i mean like it's interesting i guess for all the things you would easily be like oh look at the technology they used in 1987 that they thought was going to be popular 30 years later <laughs> you know um i think there's an argument to be made where we are very much in a cultural moment similar to what's presented here not in so far as this mass consumed singular piece of entertainment that dominates the way the running man does. But I can't remember is, is a president figure shown in the film or is it just Killian is the figurehead for, yeah. Um, But correct me. It is implied to, it is implied that he is directly tied to the authoritative governmental figures, but those figures are never named or shown. Right. I don't, goodness gracious. People are going to hear me for the next two minutes and be like, Oh my God. Nathan, Uh-oh. Um, I don't know how much digging or whatever or knowledge or reading you do these days to know this or the depth of this, but I mean, Facebook is 2019's Running Man. Like, mm. it is a corporate enterprise that is utilized, at least, consumed is a sort of wrong word, but is utilized, at least, by millions and millions of people, not just in this country that is in very growing proximity to an authoritarian administration that propagates false narratives and disinformation. I mean, it just, it is. And I think it's, I think it's fascinating by no means. Am I saying, wow, the running man was prescient and prophetic, <laughs> but it is interesting to sort of observe these parallels that like, oh, well, you know, right, right. if, if you imbue too much power into monolithic entities, be they governments, be they corporations, as we have done at a certain point, those two things are going to sidle up next to each other and, and be used one by the other. And, and there's a difference mm-hmm. between utilizing the format and exercising the format, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, Zuckerberg is in the microscope in the hot seat these days, I would say rightly so, for being evasive and unwilling to stymie intentional disinformation by political advertising on his format, on his platform. Yeah. And that's an incredibly serious problem uh, that may yet still have major repercussions as it has in the past. Anyway, you are sincerely as my friend co-host able to say, okay, let's, let's tone that down, Nathan. So feel Mm -hmm. free to do that. But I just think it's fascinating observing the notion of what is a fantastical presentation of government in bed with mass corporation you know, uh, a feeding chum to uh, a craving mass, uh, you know, while dumbing them at the same time and where we are right now, which is... Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, honestly, like, so it was in my research, I, and though I, I forget exactly where it was cited, 
um, but it was it was a BBC publication, like a, a BBC news publication, and it was the only thing that I have in my in front of me right now is is the title, where they said you know why we may be living in the future of the Running Man. Oh really? Wow. And yeah, and and how recently and this was that? Was, uh, 2017. Oh, okay. and they were talking and they were talking about um the on the film's 30th anniversary because 1987. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um and and they were talking about like yeah, there's some some alarming predictions including like the struggles with the economy, um the 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 culture of like kind of a lot of what you described about like the the culture of American television and American social media, like a lot of those connectivity points and the way that information can be manipulated i mean like we talk a lot um i'm gonna speak from an admitted limited scale of research on this but the version of interference that russia is accused of and has been very very much validated so i'm not throwing shade on the possibility that's not true but the methods they used was the propagation of of misinformation and like and yeah. just distorting facts it was not in the sense of you know like when people say like election tampering and everything it, it wasn't like they're stuffing ballot boxes or like falsifying votes they are putting their thumb on the scale yes. by f- spreading falsehoods blatant falsehoods that were captured and gone viral by people you know, believing what they were seeing. And I, and I do think if we were to accuse 2017 of inventing that, that would be naive of us. I feel like there has been throughout history a sense of misinformation through the channels of governmental authority like passed down to the people, which is part of why there's so many founding fathers that talk about the necessity of a free press that talk sure. about like, you need to have journalists who are able to speak untethered because when you have someone and and it is kind of it's kind of a complicated thing to think about the dark side of the moon because you do get a, a free press means you will have somebody out there doing their hard work and telling the truth the hard truth the truth as they have researched it and discovered it. Free press also means you will have people who can manipulate the outlets and build their audience based on blatant misinformation and the spreading of false narratives and conspiracy theories and all of those other things. And so uh, to end my statement on, on this part of the subject is it requires the discernment of the audience to recognize the, you know, do your research on the history of the publication? Do your research on the history? You know, it's the whole consider the source idea. Like you have to do your research on like what sort of checks and balances do these outlets use? Um, how can they be trusted? Can they be trusted? And to do that work yourself. And it, what is really frightening is the alarming volume of people who do not take that step, um, either through just lack of access or lack of concern mm. These, day, these days, I would say those most active in that, it's not a lack of access, it's a lack of discernment. And I think that's a fantastic yeah, word. Yeah. And I think, uh, I'm going to make a random aside here, but we're not going to get to this film right now, even though we thought we might. I did go see Dr. Sleep, and so this is relevant because it's King. Mm, but mm. 
a thematic takeaway I had of that, and maybe we'll get to this at some point, is do you remember in the book, you read the book, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So in the book, you know how they call um, the the consumers of the shine that is the not, the true not, uh, call the shine steam? Well, there's this really fascinating moment that I would have dived into, and it's relevant here to your discernment comment, is the group... This, and if you've never read the book and didn't end up seeing the movie, it's this vampiric sort of predatory group of they're not immortal. They can die, but they have to feed on what they call steam, which in mm-hmm. king, king, king parlance is shine and mm-hmm. the shining. And at a certain point, they begin getting desperate. And Rebecca Ferguson's character challenges her deputy, her lieutenant character, and and she says, why isn't there more more steam, essentially? And he mm. says, he says, I don't know. Maybe it's cell phones. Maybe it's Netflix. Funny. Ha ha. And then he's, huh. he, he references a third thing. I can't remember what it was. But, and he may have actually said social media. I don't know. But to that point, if we had talked about Dr. Sleep, thematically, I found that a really fascinating thing. Because what was, what were they saying? They are saying there's less mm. essence of people. There's less depth. There's less soulfulness. Right. Right. Because we are so undiscerning. Mm. In other words, what he identified were these things, these inventions out in the world, these innovations that on their in a vacuum are, oh, wow, (laughs) cassette tapes. Oh, wow. Look, you know, like whatever. I'm making a running man joke there. But the point being (laughs) Netflix, cell phone, social media, look at human innovations like, well, in a vacuum, maybe. But in in aggregation, we are. We are losing our discernment. We are losing our shine. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's what is becoming really heavy and troubling in these days. You know, um, I had this really, so, you know, I've been, I've, anyone who's listened to the show for long knows I've been critical of this administration from the beginning, but ignoring that I've, my, my own discernment has grown as it relates to things like Facebook, social media generally, I have peddled back a good bit in terms of, I mean, I still use it probably more than I should, but, you know, have peddled back a lot on this. And, and in tandem with that, I began reading a book gifted to me by fellow listener, Matt Murray, and it's called uh, Digital Minimalism. And the, mm. the author's name, Cal Newport, and I'm not even that far in the book, but it's, it's one of those, you probably have these every now and then where like, <laughs> you just know, I'm like, damn God, I just know mm. this is going to be challenging not it's not a yeah, it's yeah. not a hard book to read in in the sense of it's highly academic and that sort of thing and obtuse but it's going to be challenging and i don't know how how much <laughs> i can consume and it'll go but right, i was reflect right. i was reflecting on the text of it to matt uh who had gifted it to me because he had read it too and and i was like you know what's disheartening and even saying this out loud there's a twinge of emotion here what's disheartening is the capacity as we observe collectively our social media usage over this past decade, the ability to sort of not even that hyperbolically say, if someone said, what have you done the last 10 years of your life to say, I scrolled. Oh, wow. Right. I mean, we are, we are losing our soulfulness. We are losing the capacity for discernment. We are losing the ability to be in a crowd a la uh, audience members at the running man and say, um, I don't know about this. Yeah. You know, yeah. we're losing our capacity to as mass consumers of social media and, you know, just like, Oh, this is a cool platform. I, 
hear me. Like, I know this, I didn't know we were going to get into this and you can stop me at some point, but, or, or whenever you want to is what I mean. Mm, you know, yeah. like I love what is sold to us about things like social media, for instance. Oh man, you know, like I'm connecting with people and like people actually like and want to be connected to is what I mean. You know, it's like, I, I, I get, right. I get to see this person's kids grow up. Like I love that. I love mm, it. It's, it's, mm, yeah, it's right. a really powerful sort of thing to me. But at a certain point, <laughs> we have to begin seeing that what we are doing is just, you know, it's, it's just chum in the water that is being, yeah. being fed to us to keep us anyway, there's, there's a whole lot of avenues we could pursue here. My simple, mm-hmm. my simple point is it is fascinating watching the running man and being like, daggum. Yeah, we're, we're, we're there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and it should be, so it should be noted from, from, from my opinion that the running man is the, because it was not, it was certainly not the first like dystopian story, you know, sure. like, in fact, now I don't have all the details on this, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna hit this and run. It is my understanding that the Running Man, the film, not King's novel, but the Running Man, the film, in the ways that it sort of changed some of the narrative and some of the narrative beats, uh, was actually like had to settle out a lawsuit for plagiarism of an earlier French film. Huh. I don't have all those details, but th- but I'm only bringing that up to say like this is certainly not the first dystopian story of of this nature escape from new york by john carpenter kind of has some echoes of this same sort of thing but i do feel like the running man specifically the film does feel the most from the from the films of its kind that i've seen it feels the most resonant to some of the patterns like that that shot the little commercial thing where like climbing for dollars, <laughs> that guy comes in. When, before you oh. told me you wanted to open an episode, that's what I was going to say you were doing is you were catching up on climbing for dollars. <laughs> <laughs> catching up on climbing for dollars. Um, but you know, it's like stuff like that does not feel in the slightest removed from plausibility in this current sort of uh, thing that we see, which is some of the absurdity that you see hit the airwaves and some of the things that you see, take off on social media and and I do feel like that is why even though it it could not correctly be called you know the only film to have done this or the only film sure. to have, have sort of played in this sandbox I do feel like of the popular prominent films uh, action films of the 80s this is one of the ones that does feel like it taps into some of what we are experiencing in the actual 2019 that the film is is presenting um and there are echoes of it and a lot of that could just be chalked up to the things that smart savvy people see society going to and and happening uh and and these are the trends that are going to be taking place and and i feel to a point that you made earlier i feel like it falls to us well okay I didn't intend to do this, but as a, as a possible it. note for myself into winding us down, I didn't intend this at all, but this is just one of those little coincidental things. We talked earlier about the last rung on the ladder, mm-hmm. and I feel like the the way out of being trapped in that void of numbness and desensitization is to do the work that we had addressed in last rung on the ladder, like to do that hard work of carrying the burden, Mm -hmm. like recognizing 
the things instead of and and listen I'm I, yeah I get, I'm not on Facebook the way I was like two years ago just changes in habits I'm still on Facebook and and social media sort of hits my radar from you know from time to time at least a couple times a week and and I think the thing for me is like as long as you have appropriately I'll use another King analogy that we talked about in on writing as long as you've put it in the corner like fine. Don't put it in the center of the room. Mm. And I feel like, I like there's that. a lot of people who put social media or their their persona there or those kind of drives, they put it in the center of the room. And I think the answer to say like, hey, just pull that plug and don't don't engage with it, I think that may be a bit of an extreme. It's not a problem, you know, like it's people can make that choice and live full fulfilling lives and the things you miss out on maybe aren't even worth missing. But at the same time, like if you engage it, make sure it's in the corner of the room. Make sure it's not the center of what your world revolves around. And um, I think that's one of my big takeaways in terms of like people engaging with the running man and, and uh, sort of buying into all the things. You can you can smell the falsehood and the toxicity. The more you engage with flesh and blood human beings particularly those who disagree with you or come from different walks of life, the broader and more diverse your community is, the more equipped you will be at being able to, again, just sort of sniff out the falsehoods, be able to recognize that this this doesn't quite uh, make sense as factual truth. And, and, of course, engaging, as we would believe, engaging with an active pursuit of, of faith and a faithful life is going to bolster that, not the version of just conforming to the status quo or conforming to the recited quotes, but actually like pursuing growth, pursuing betterment. Those are those are strong antidotes to these kinds of toxic sort of numbing. Uh, and 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 yeah, I I feel like you know if you're gonna, <laughs> this is gonna be so pithy and so stupid, but like look if if you're gonna be running after something like. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Don't don't be running after don't be running after that you know and uh, well but I, so yeah okay I, I um I will I will maintain us in you know the six foot for a moment deep water and as we move up towards the shore so um I do think a some major takeaways for me from this conversation are this notion of discernment and and I'm let it be heard <laughs> you know don't hear hoity-toity Nathan. He's got all this crap together. Like I thrive on that dopamine hit from the little red bubble as much as anybody does. I'm just trying, <laughs> I'm just trying to wrestle myself into, you know, sort of some, some sense making. And, uh, and also, yeah, when it boils down to it, to be able to say out loud, what'd you do the last decade? Oh, I scrolled through things like that's a terrible, tragic yeah, sort of no, I statement, but I, I want to, for my final button here, he's been part of this conversation for the better part of the year. Uh, some Richard Gord note, because, because what I was identifying, whether it's maybe government in general, but definitively, definitely authoritarian government, but that coupled with monolithic capitalistic corporate enterprise, it's funny on one of these, um, another name for everything where they take questions he had apparently at one point made an aside about critiquing capitalism mm. and they returned to it in a question and answer session. And he says, he's like the amount of things that I think I say that are controversial and the thing that gets the most response is mm. critiquing mm. capitalism. And wow. yeah. 
And the pithy note, and then I'll unpack a little bit, is he says, let it be known, anything above criticism will soon be demonic. Yeah, yeah. And this, I, I love this little note because, and it fits with the running man. That's why it's appropriate here. And it fits with a thing like Facebook. You know, there's, there's been very few things in human innovation like a Facebook. And so it's hard to be like, well, take, pretend it's something else. Well, Facebook is a very specific sort of thing, but yeah, in critiquing capitalism, he, how he views this is anytime you objectify anything or anybody that is the nature of the capitalist beast. Uh, once everything is an object of consumption or an object of profit, as a Nathan right. aside here, right. in a world like fa- in a world of Facebook, we are the thing being consumed. We are being objectified. Yeah. Yeah. He says yeah. it's necessary to critique the capitalist mind. Capitalism is not inherently evil, but it is brought about by a mindset bent on the manipulation of reality for private purpose. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Man, I mean, <laughs> I know. I mean, like, yeah, it, no, it's, it's a, it's a sobering definition um, for something. And, and, and again, like I do love a lot of the ways he puts that in this sense of like, we're not talking about a thing that we are we are demonizing it, but its potential for demonic ends within your heart. Those those are very different conversations. Or, like and within being, a society, let's let's right, let's blow right. that up some. But yeah, yeah, sure. And um, and I do think that that's something of which we should be. We're called that that we're called to be as faithful believers, as just human beings. Like we should feel compelled to not be subject or be slave to anything um, that would be, you know, controlling of us. And I feel like that's something that a lot of times these ways in which we will champion or charge for our freedom without realizing that we are actually entrenching those things hold on us and on our personhood and on our being. Um, and in the name of freedom, we demand that we have this thing where uh, there's an uh, I'm going to end my my thing with this. There's an older film uh, starring Anthony Hopkins and Burgess Meredith called Magic. And it's about a, a ventriloquist who gets a bit of like he has this very strange sort of uh, psychological break with his performance dummy. And his uh, manager says to him, put put it down for five minutes. That's what I want you to do. I want you to put it down for five minutes and I won't spoil the film, but it is, it is a tense fraught few moments when that charge is attempted. And, uh, you know, you should seek out that film cause it's fascinating and, and, and a good film, but it is that kind of thing. That's like, we insist, I, I have control of this thing, but if we can't put it down, for five minutes, if we can't walk away for five minutes because, by God, I'm entitled to it and I should not have to, question that. Interrogate yeah, that yeah. a little bit. Interrogate the you can't walk away from it for five minutes and your justification for it is your own personal liberty and freedom. That is a dangerous headspace. That's a dangerous soul space yeah, very, to be yeah. in. And as and, a, as a yeah. maybe, maybe final button there and actually not pivoting into new territory but to circle us back around to the last rung on the ladder is 
this discernment, this need for soulfulness in critiquing monolithic imperial structures is carrying that discernment is our work. Carrying it. That's our work. And executing it is our work. And I had no clue we would go here with the running man. (laughs) (laughs) That was not playing zero at all. Right. I mean, I started this conversation by talking about Buzzsaw getting his ball sawed, and here we are. (laughs) You know, it's like... You know, split. Well, you know, it's almost time for us to split. So, um, why don't, not in that why don't we pivot over into the fog meter, our Let's very specific it. metric of fear and God, um, its scares and its substance for 1987's The Running Man. So I'll go first on the uh, fear measurement. Uh, dude, like, this is a one. Like, this is not a... It, this. And there's the thing. Like, I feel bad even doing the fog meter for these because this is specifically non-horror material. But it's an action flick. It's a one for me on the fear measurement. What about for you? Well, much like my, you know, stand by me, I'm, I'm just particularly risk averse to foreign elements, you know. <laughs> and, and so whether it's leeches or chainsaws, I'm going to give it a two, you know, because okay. it's, okay. just, All right. it's All right. just, you know. Just <laughs> You're like, can you please watch a movie where something devastating doesn't happen to a man's junk? Please. <laughs> please. Can we please watch that film next, please? Um, so uh, what would you say for the uh, the God meter, the substance meter? Uh, on paper, there's not a whole lot. But, you know, I think mm. I think the sort of strange prescience of it i'm gonna i'm gonna give it a five i think that's generous but honest to just kind of if if this movie were after something thematic i think it's there i think it's there to be found (laughs) yeah no no i agree and i'm i'm gonna sit with you with your five i think that's i think that's appropriate because if the film tried harder for that it would succeed rather easily but i don't think the film tries no it does not (laughs) Um, so that means that our fog meter we give it a three a three out of ten on the fog meter, uh, which is, I mean, is, is is understandable for a film like this. But Nathan, I mean, like, would you re- would you recommend The Running Man to someone to go watch The Running Man? Uh, it's, uh, I mean, <laughs> again, like, what was what was the movie that so many factors in life had to line up in order to, for it to be a hearty recommendation? You oh know, my gosh, I can't remember. I know, you know what I'm yeah, talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah, where you were like, I mean, if all of this works, and no, all that was, that, well, sure. <laughs> Sure, I just remember sure. what it was. It was quite on. I love yeah. that I was about to seminally qualify quite on in the running That's, man. Like quite on is such a better film. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> that was that's why it's humorous. Uh yes. yeah, I mean if you know, if you got a Friday night free and you never saw <laughs> it, sure, why not? I uh, so what the extent of my recommendation is if you are a fan of cheesy stupid 80s action movies, sure. this is one of the this is one of the best, but that's the well, thing is like it's very specifically in that subcategory of cheesy eighties action flicks. I referenced this before with something relatively recently. I think maybe it was during I Love the Seventies, where I I learned the error of my movie watching history when I post that I'm watching a particular film and out of the woodwork. It was Phantasm. Yeah. I oh, Phantasm. Right. When, right, right like right. Running Man, I posted watching the Running Man. And it's like oh god, oh, oh. like everybody's posting. Oh, every, everybody's posting memes from the Running Man and gifts from the Running. Man. Like. <laughs> <laughs> okay, clearly that this is a blind spot, and I'm going to remedy this. So oh, that's so funny. Yes, but now you've remedied it. I've remedied it. Do the chopper. 
End the podcast. Uh, End it, Reed. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, next week we're going to be continuing. Two hours of the running, on... man. <laughs> it's we're longer than the film. So, so uh, next week we are going to be going back to some non king, some non horror king material. We're going to be covering uh, a, a much more recent film from the early two thousands called Hearts in Atlantis. Um, we referenced that we'll also be covering another short piece. If you want to seek out that short piece, we're going to be covering another story from Night Shift called The Woman in the Room. So you can read that short story, The Woman in the Room. Uh, seek out that film, Hearts in Atlantis. Join us for the conversation next week. Nathan, thank you so much yeah, man. for indulging uh, another dose of Arnold and uh, The Running Man. So uh, I was very, very happy to have this conversation with you. Nope. No problem, my friend. And and like Arnold, next week, I'll be back. (laughs) See you then. Bye. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. You can follow us on Twitter, at The Fear of God. You can like and follow us on Facebook, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. You can follow us on Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast, or go to morethanonelesson.com to leave a comment on this post or any of the other official episode posts. Email us at fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. Our theme music was composed by Lee Wright and Reed Lackey, and our podcast art was crafted by Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com. Merchandise for the show can now be found at tpublic.com. Just search for The Fear of God Podcast, all one word. And last but not least, if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating or a review. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Wow. I'm stunned. (laughs) (laughs) 